Well, 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we are, verse 7. Uh, if you've just joined us and you're saying, okay, give me a little bit with 1 Peter, what are we looking at? He spends the first section, I know this is a review, but here we go, right? The, the, our inheritance, our salvation that's found and the truths of that in chapter 1, that spills out into these commands to, be, to, to set our hope on the Lord, to walk in holiness, to fear the Lord, and walk in love. Love to not only the Lord, but love to one another. And then that governs our relationships. And so he dealt with a few uh, examples, husbands and wives, servants and slaves. And then that spilled out into the first part of chapter 4, kind of the things you don't do because you're identified with the Lord. You're not involved in drunkenness and so forth. And we talked about the, not the nasty nine or the dirty dozen, but there's certainly a list. And they're found in verse 3. In verses 7 through 11, he's going to deal with what we should be doing as followers of the Lord. And he's going to give us, we're going to see uh, that as was seen earlier in 4 and even in chapter 3, there are two theological threads that are, that are matters in which all of this is orbiting around. One deals with Christ, his Christology. The other does with, deals with end times. And chapter 4, starting in verse 7, is no exception, which we'll see in a second. Because he's going to deal with these four areas on how to glorify the Lord. First, he's going to deal with our prayer life, which we'll see. Next, he'll call it our love life, not the kind you're thinking. All right. Third, the call to examine our God-given gifts. And then he'll kind of give a sweeping, arching statement. We just need to glorify the Lord. So that's the breakdown of the notes. And let's look at verse 7. Starts out four, and I'm reading from the Net Bible, the New English Translation. Uh, so forgive me if you're having trouble following a little bit, but it says four, and it's, this is anchoring back to verses five and six. The culmination of all things is near. Eschatology, that is the end times, drives the New Testament ethics. It's true for Paul, it's true for James, James chapter five, who says the time is near. It's true for Peter as well. The Lord's coming back. So he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of prayer. Above all, keep your love for one another fervent. In other words, don't slack off is what that term really means. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. I love this next phrase, without complaining. Right? I can't believe they ate all that food. Right? When are they ever going to leave? Right. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies. Literally, uh, he's going to defray the cost, is what that term can indicate. So that in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's unpack this text. It's pretty significant. He starts off with dealing with prayer. And notice that he gives two commands or two verbs are directly linked with prayer. The first is to be clear-minded. And I mentioned this there in your notes. In fact, I quote from Marshall. He says, the term carries the idea of maintaining a sense of promotion and keeping one's head uh, despite dangers and fears of the time. Remember, our audience is being persecuted, not to the point of dying, but they're being insulted, they're, they're being ostracized in their culture. And he says, you, you got to remain sober-minded. 
Again, why? The overarching phrase is that things are near. We're in the end. So stay sober. And literally, it's the opposite of being drunk, (laughs) which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, Clear-headedness. David's in his commentary, and I put this in your notes, writes, not the prayer based on daydreams and unreality, nor the prayer based on surprised desperation, but the prayer that calls upon and submits to God in light of reality seen from God's perspective, and thus obtains power and guidance in the situation, however the evil time may be. When I think about your own prayer life and what you pray, uh, I can tell you a lot about someone's walk with the Lord based on their prayers. He's saying there shouldn't be a, a desperation. There's a clear mindedness because we know there's we know the end game. We know that's what was highlighted in five and six, right? That God is going to judge the unrighteous and the others. We're going to live. That is, the believers live spiritually by God's standards. So he said, remember that. And then you need to be self-controlled is the second verb that he gives, and it's a realistic view of the world, as I mentioned in your notes, and a need to be alert. Now, the question, as I was thinking through this, is how exactly, and there's some space here for us to write, how exactly does being self-controlled and sober-minded aid our prayer life? (laughs) Help us out. I'm sorry? A quiet place. That's how we can do it. Yeah. Less distractions. Priorities. Someone's calling to get a lifeline on this question. We don't need that. Um. I mean, the, the context is... All, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you can be in tune with, with the Spirit as you're trying to pray. So if you're foggy or, or drinking, you're not going to be in tune. And, and I, I think it's more than just drinking, but yes. The idea that the cares of this world, etc. Um, reverent. Reverent. Yeah, guided by the word. Think about the Lord's prayer, or the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples. It's a better way to say it. First, exalts the Lord. It recognizes who he is. And it's a danger, but I know someone's theology fairly well by their prayer where they start. Lord, help us. We're really struggling. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. But sometimes I see the eyes focused on here rather than first starting here. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Peter is saying here. The, time, the culmination is near. He's just talked about Jesus Christ standing ready to judge. Our focus needs to be on the things of the Lord first. Then we can address our needs. And that's how the Christ set forth. And I, I see that happening even in your list here. It's in tune with the Spirit. It's, 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 it's thinking on things of the, the Lord first. Recognizing who He is 
in the midst of, of our struggle. Yep. If our theology starts with man, it's philosophy. <laughs> that that end is, is the end game. Because um, <clears throat> you're right, Tim. If, if we have a recognition, if I have a proper theology, it puts everything in perspective. Now, why do you think Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans dealing with theology before he ever deals with duty, practice? <laughs> Um, unfortunately, theology often gets it's seen as a four-letter word, doctrine, indoctrination, and, and yet there's such a place for that. And, and, and when it's not there and there's not a proper theology, uh, the cares of this world can quickly choke uh, our... <clears throat> Yep, yep. So, first command he gives, prayer. Now notice where he moves to the second, aspects of love. There are several things we can tease out of this. He says, above all, it, it, it's, it, number one, it, it's the overarching concept. <clears throat> Remember the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5? First is love. Some scholars see that as the overarching fruit of the Spirit is love, and then all the rest are dictated by it. Certainly, 1 Corinthians, uh, love is... <clears throat> highly stressed, but it must be preeminent in our lives. Second thing I wrote down, it's on the second page of your notes, is love must remain consistent. <clears throat> Notice what he says, your love for one another, fervent. It's, it's ongoing. You're not slacking off. I mean, how does someone slack off loving? I think it's pretty obvious, but how do we... How would we ever get there? How could we slack off on our love for one another? Hurt, pain, grudges, gossip. Uh, we don't have to think too long, do we? <laughs> of ways that even, <clears throat> not just love for our spouse, but I'm talking about love for the community, the body of believers. By the way, that's what he's addressing here. Indifference. Indifference. Yeah, it's not, sometimes it's not outright antagonism, but it's, uh, <clears throat> good. You've got to work at this, you know, uh, and to do that. And love must serve, this is the third point I have, as a means to forgive and overlook the faults. Notice what he says here. Love, he's quoting from Proverbs 10. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, he is not saying that love can atone. Peter has been very clear that our atonement for sin was done by Christ's work on the cross. So loving somebody <clears throat> does not uh, eradicate the sin, nor does it uh, nullify the consequences. Yeah, Kyle. Uh, this is agape, I would assume. I'm pretty certain, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah, an act of the will. Yes. Yeah, I, I mentioned in your notes here, I think what we're dealing with is a believer lavishes love on others. Sins and offenses are overlooked. In other words, we're walking in grace and in compassion. Yes, thank you, Eugene. That's good. Keep no accounts of wrong. 
And I give several reasons for why I think that's the best interpretation, and you can read those. It's interesting that he's saying, listen, the time is near. We need to be loving, first and foremost. Um, He also states there's another aspect of love here that's highlighted it's one of, the greatest, one of the greatest ways we can do that through hospitality. Notice what he, he mentions, a whole section here. This is uh, the fifth time in the New Testament we are called to, to show hospitality. It's not a gift, by the way. It's a command to the entire church. Some people are better at it than others, right? You got the Martha Stewarts of the world. You know, they know how to, to set a table. But it, it's, hospitality is more than just having folks over for dinner, isn't it? Uh, it's a welcoming heart, et cetera, et cetera. In this culture, it was imperative because there were very few inns or hotels. And so itinerant preachers needed a place to stay. Also, you had a many uh, homes that were opened up as churches. So that kind of governs this. But that hospitality, the call for that, spills over into our lives and, and, and how we entertain, et cetera. Notice again that phrase, without complaining. I know, the best lights at Christmas are your relatives' taillights, right? (laughs) You can think about that one for a minute. Uh, And it's true, I I know. uh, This is confession. This shouldn't be recorded, but it is. The speaker, Mike Thigpen, and his wife were here, and it was great having him. You know, after four days, it was like, okay, here's your tickets. Have a great trip home. You know, you're just tired. You're exhausted. Um, It's funny, in the early church, in some early church writings, it says after three days, you do not have to extend hospitality. (laughs) One of the early church writings, after three days, you can boot them out of the house. I love it. But without grumbling, without complaining. And, And it's interesting, grumbling and complaining, think about it. Do a study on the New Testament. Or the Old Testament, it's always seen as rebellion ultimately against God. Isn't that interesting? Uh, you know, I hear people grumbling about so-and-so, and I'm going, well, wait a minute, God put him in your life, and you're called to love. So uh, ultimately, you're saying God didn't know what was best. Uh, ouchie, right? But grumbling and complaining, do, I mean, do a word study on it. It's going to shock you. Uh, I told my, one of my kids that we're going to do this study. <laughs> it's time. Uh, stop complaining. Be thankful, right? So aspects of love. <clears throat> so you don't do these things. First part of chapter four. Here's what you need to be stressing as followers of Christ. Your prayer, your love life. And then finally, he deals with some God-given talents, <clears throat> Notice what he says here in verse 10, just as each has received a gift. In other words, no believer is exempt. It doesn't mean you just get one gift, by the way. It's kind of an all-encompassing idea. The term, of course, is spiritual endowment. Salvation is a gift, but he's dealing more than just salvation, isn't he? No believer is exempt. Uh, Sometimes I think some people get more gifts than others, but... We all are gifted by God. Secondly, our gifts are used. Notice what the text says in verse 10. For our glory, no. To serve one another. Um, you as a group model that so well. 
there's one individual in this room was telling me, I went and saw so-and-so, spent some time with them, and I know he's had a pattern of that. And Wow, that's convicting. Our gifts are to, to, to help serve others. I think this is true in German. Does anyone know what gift means in German? It means poison. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I don't know in Dutch. Do you know, Jim? <clears throat> I think it means poison. Uh, our gifts are, are not poison. They're a blessing to others. At least they should be, right? They shouldn't be a, a, something that we're lording over somebody or trying to strut our stuff. Um, I wrote down as well, our gifts belong to God. We see that in the text. <clears throat> They're not ours. Uh, we're responsible for them. But we can't hide them or not to hoard them. These are gifts from the Lord that we need to share with others. Again, you know this. I'm not preaching to the choir here, but it's a good reminder. Notice the text also tells us one size doesn't fit all. I love the line. Did you catch this? It says, he supplies, the text tells us, we're to be good stewards. That is, we're kind of to manage these things. Um, You've been placed in charge, but they're ultimately not yours, of the varied grace of God. There it is. There's a, the beauty of the body of Christ, of the, the talents and gifts that he's endowed his people. <clears throat> and ultimately, of course, they're rooted in God's grace. We can't do anything to earn them. Thus, there's no reason for pride, Right? I think I've told this story before, but I was involved in a church, and <clears throat> I heard this lady, she'd been asked to play the piano for the church service, and she goes, yes, I finally have power. <laughs> I'm going, well, I'm not sure playing the piano gives you any real power. You've got 88 keys, I guess, but I don't know what they're going to open. But I, I thought, my goodness. Um, the sad part is I, I've done enough church work to know that that idea, though, is there. You know, I have this position or I'm doing this and, and heaven forbid that you, you, you step on my turf. <clears throat> These aren't our gifts. They're gifts that God has given us. I mean, since that they're rooted in what he's given us, what he supplies. So it's interesting as the time is near, according to Peter, our prayers, our love, and our gifts all need to be to his glory. Questions or comments on these three as we look at this? I thought so. I thought gift means poison. But also, Corinthians 10 through 14, <clears throat> 10 through 14 the big thing about gifts and gifts are for the edification, just a whole lot of good passages. Yes. <clears throat> In fact, page four of your notes, which is something you can do on your own if you desire, I've given you two key passages, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, which gives a whole laundry list of spiritual gifts, and you can go through there, and there's spiritual gift inventories and the list goes on. <clears throat> yeah. I found my biggest challenge is I saw a thing once at Christmas, and it's where we go through life and we're at the end of it. And the picture is we didn't open up the gifts God gave us. Hmm. And all these gifts are there, and it's like, what are these? And these are the gifts God gave you. And that has been one of the most penetrating things I've right, experienced. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just to look at that, God gave me gifts, and I didn't use them. Well, that's convicting. I don't know if you heard that. I said I get to the end of life, and here's the gifts I didn't use. We'll never be judged for sin as believers. Christ covered our sin. When we appear before the Bema seat, 
it's all about rewards. But I do think there'll be some remorse because there's certain rewards you could have had had you, you know, tapped into your gifts and utilized them. I do think sometimes we get carried away on trying to figure out what are our gifts. Serve the Lord. <laughs> you just get busy. Uh, and I, I yeah, I, I, anyway, the Lord wants us to do His will more than we do. So I, I, get involved, right? Serve Him. But He's not done because the gifts kind of overarch then verses 10 and 11. And, and He doesn't give us the laundry list like Paul does. He gives us two kind of overarching categories. One deals, notice with what? What's the first category? Starting in verse uh, 11. Speaking, right? And the other is serving. I think these are the two major categories here. Speaking, think about all the rhetoric that's involved, not just preaching and teaching, but uh, intercession, etc. And then also serving. And notice, as we live our lives in light of knowing that the Lord will return, he says, number uh, verse 11, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. In other words, uh, we're conveying what God has revealed. I mentioned this there in your notes. Uh, it's under verse 11a. It says the first category, speaking calls for rhetoric that is in keeping with God's revelation. Ultimately, our words, our great wisdom is not going to change lives, right? Um, <clears throat> I remember one of my homiletics professors uh, he would crucify guys who practiced preaching uh, that didn't stick to the text. And I can constantly hear him say, I can still remember him saying, where's the text? I don't care what you have to say. What's the text say? Uh, you, you know, <clears throat> you're no different than a televangelist right now. Uh, you know, what you're saying is true, but it's not what the text says. You departed from what, what's going on in the passage. Um, you know, so good, good advice. Um, you look at, look at Germany today. The state Lutheran churches that are growing are vibrant. It's because you've got an evangelical minister. Do the, do the research. It's because they're preaching the word. That's what people are going to want to hear. That's what's going to change lives. Not, our, our, not us, right? And, and, he's, and Peter's saying, we have to be true to the text, we're obligated to do that. <clears throat> he says, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. And then he says, whoever serves, notice the text states, do so with the strength that God supplies. Uh, I love that. He's given us a task, and he's also going to give us the resources that we need to accomplish that task, Right? In your notes, I mentioned the two general categories of faithfulness to God's word and our dependence on the Lord and our service to him affords the greatest success. The success is not the exaltation of self or the glory of human ingenuity. <laughs> What's the success? The text tells us that in everything, God will be glorified. That's the end game, right? That's what we're looking to. In fact, his closing prayer, which we're going to look at next week, he says, you know, in verse 10 of chapter 5, he says, who are called you to his eternal glory. That's what we're looking to. <clears throat> and since we're going to be there for all eternity, and since it's imminent, 
This is what we need to be about. Notice there's another phrase that is key. If we were diagramming this sucker, this is the phrase that we would want to highlight. We are glorified how? Through what? Through Jesus Christ, right? Through Jesus Christ. It's through what Christ has accomplished, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, what Christ is doing, chapters, really, chapters 2, 3, and onward. That's what governs us. It's through Christ. Uh, Marshall, in his commentary, this is the bottom of page 2, says the whole of Christian experience takes place in the name of Jesus. It, it, that's who we need to be exalting, Right? So, our gifts, whether it's in the realm of speaking or whether it's in the realm of doing service, it's all for God's glory and it's accomplished through Christ, right? Then he breaks out in song, and it's very unusual to have a doxology in the middle of a letter. There's some scholars that even argue this actually is the end of the book. In other words, 412 through the end wasn't there originally. I disagree. Uh, Paul has a doxology, remember in Romans, where you don't expect it? It's in chapter 11. There's a yellow puddle by his chair as he's writing Romans because uh, he can't contain his excitement. He, he's gone through all that theology. At the end of chapter 11, he goes, wow, look at God. And then he has to go, go back to chapter 12. Uh, same with Peter here. He, he reflects on the privileges we have to serve the Lord and to be involved and he says, to him belongs the glory. And then he adds, and I love this, and the power. You wouldn't expect that. You would have just thought, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen and amen. He adds power. Why? And it dwells us? What's he just talked about? Tim. Legitimate power? What else? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, for instance, verse 11. So with the strength that God supplies, this one can do it. This is why he deserves all glory. And because he's the glorious one, he's all powerful to do it. <laughs> Right, the two go hand. I said, I wrote in my notes, the greatest news is it's not about us. It is about the one who will ensure he is glorified. He has the power to do so. Right? To him be the glory and power. You got a group of believers that some of them are cowering over in the corner, not sure whether this Christian faith is really worth living out, or at least they're scared to live it out. They're being slander, they're being ridiculed, et cetera, et cetera. And he's telling them, get out there, show hospitality and love. You got to be kidding. I don't want to do that. Yeah, well, remember, we're in the end and God will sustain and he has the power to do so and he will be glorified. That's what you, this is the threads that are going through this book, which is so powerful. I mean, I'm going to show you my cards for next week, but look at, look at, look at verse 11. He gets done talking about the one who has all the glory, who himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. <coughs> and he says in verse 11 of chapter 5, to him belongs the power. There it is again. He, it just keeps resounding through this epistle. 
He's got the power to do it, and he will be glorified. And so this is your reasonable service kind of a thing. Love one another, right? Be in prayer uh, that recognizes these things and serve. Questions or comments on that? That's huge. When you see a, there's a few epistles in the New Testament where there's a doxology you don't expect. It normally is at the end of a letter. So if it's in the middle, you need to sit up and take nourishment. (laughs) There's something significant going on here. And that's what Peter's doing. He just cannot stand it any longer. Wow. So he breaks out in song. To him belongs the glory. And even throws in an amen. So be it, right? Boom. I love it. Well, so what, Hophidus? What do we do with this? Let me give you a couple things just to, to walk away with this morning. They're fairly obvious, but first, the need to pray and the ability to love others comes far more naturally when we realize we are to live our lives for God's glory, right? When the focus is not on our surroundings and, and what's going on or on ourselves, but on the Lord, when it's on these things that you just talked about, it's far easier to love people. Because I see them as Christ sees them, not as I would like to see them, <laughs> right? Look at, look at 2 Thessalonians. Look at this. I love this little book. Paul only spent probably about three weeks with the church at Thessaloniki. Uh, and he, he pins two letters to them. It's obviously uh, he has deep love for them, concern. And in 2 Thessalonians, well... The first Thessalonians, he talks about their faith, hope, and love. He goes, that's great. By second Thessalonians, he commends them for their faith and their love, but there is no hope. They're struggling. And he says in chapter 2, uh, no, sorry, chapter 1, look what he says here in Second Thessalonians 1.11. And in this regard, we pray for you always that our God will make you worthy of his calling and fulfill by his power... <clears throat> your every desire for goodness and every work of faith, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. You want a prayer for this week? Commit these two verses to, 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 to prayer. Pray them daily this week. In the name of the Lord, according to the grace of our Lord, of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a powerful text. And this is what, what's Paul's praying for a group who, who are wavering in their hope they're suffering, they're concerned. He says, listen, this is my prayer for you, that you see God's glory, that you focus on this. And all, all these other things, they're secondary. Here's another. Here's another one for us. The use of our spiritual gifts must recognize our debt to the Lord. <clears throat> Howard Hendricks said it many, many times. You know, the pastor who stands, used to, they stood at the door as you, people exited. Nice sermon, pastor. Right? He said that's the glorification of the worm. <laughs> He's right. Planaga states, to place ourselves in a range of God's choicest gifts, we have to walk with God, work with God, lean on God, cling to God, and come to have the sense and feel of God. Refer all things to God. <clears throat> it's a great, great reminder. Ephesians chapter 4 Remember this church? They had lost, well, they were on the verge when Paul wrote this epistle of losing their first love. When Christ sends the letter in Revelation, he tells them they have lost their love, their first love. Remember that? Uh, They lost that love and feeling. And 
And Paul knows that. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling. I'm in prison and I'm still telling you this. Life stinks. It's not fair. Who said it was? But the one who, who's going to make it all right, the time is near. With all hu- and he says, in which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another, here it is, in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There is one body, one Spirit, one Lord, and on he goes, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. In case you missed anything, right? <laughs> this is our God. And he says, we're indebted, and the gifts that we have are for his glory, not ours. Well, I give an some options for you this week. There are four of these listed here. Uh, Number one, you could, just some ideas for this week in in light of our study. Spend time in prayer each day this week thanking the Lord for His grace. That's one option. Or you could spend time each day in prayer asking the Lord to grant you wisdom and strength. Third, I put another thing down, and that is how you do in hospitality, you and your household. When's the last time you had someone over for a meal or a cup of coffee or took them out for a cup of coffee? You don't have to go to your house. Um, But when have you shown hospitality? Four, meet with an individual who knows you well and is brutally honest. That's vital and you're willing to listen. (laughs) Ask them what they see as your spiritual gifting and how could you improve in your stewardship of that gifting? You know, that... uh, Higher education assessment is its death, Neil, in my opinion right now. I think you're assessed on everything. But there is value in assessment. Have a good friend say, hey, I need to sit down. I need a spiritual checkup. I need you to do some inventory. Get out the list. Here, here, what, what do you see are my gifts? How am I faring in those? What are some ways I could improve? You need someone that's, that's going to be brutally honest. Well, those are some things to work or look, address, and there's another page if you, you still need work. There it is for you, all right? <laughs> Powerful text. I love it. No wonder Peter breaks out in song at the end. It's just great. Let me pray for us. Also, pray for Dale Depoy. He has surgery on his foot. Is it this week, Dale? Next week. So be praying for Dale on that. All right, let's go to prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. And thank you for how you've showered us with gifts. (laughs) Who are we? We don't deserve a thing. But you've given us that. And so help us to live for your glory, that we would exalt your name. And indeed, the time is near. And uh, may we be found faithful and worthy servants. In Jesus' name. Amen.